The text for this morning's worship service is from Romans 8, verse 14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 50, stanza 11. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, that includes you boys and girls, I know of a man who was, con- who was convinced that he was led by the Holy Spirit to become a minister. As far as he was concerned, everything pointed to it. He was very sincere. He was full of zeal. He had become a recent convert and had thrown away his former way of life. He no longer drank or smoked or used bad language. He no longer went to wild parties. He came regularly to church. He sent his children to a Christian school. And he was convinced in every way that he was led by the Holy Spirit. Even though he had a large family, he also had the financial means to be able to study for nine years. And his wife and children were behind him, so were many others. So he sold his house, gave up his job, studied for four years at the university, then another five years at the theological college, And then he became a minister, but he only lasted four years in the ministry. Then he quit. He also stopped going to church. He even stopped believing. How could that happen? Did the Holy Spirit make a mistake? Did the Holy Spirit mislead him? Well, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit does not make a mistake. The Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit is perfect. Men, however, do make mistakes. And they do fall into sin. And the Holy Spirit can also rise them up again and make them once again go in the right direction. But we have to be careful when we speak about being led by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes you'll hear somebody say that he or she is being led to a certain action. They will say, for example, that the Holy Spirit has told them to take a different job or that the Holy Spirit told them to move to another town or they will say that the Holy Spirit wants them to go to another church or that the Holy Spirit is leading them to seek a divorce and so the question is this morning how do you know what the will of the Holy Spirit is how does the Holy Spirit lead you How does the Holy Spirit guide you to make certain decisions? How does God direct our lives? That's what we will deal with this morning. I will preach to you about the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We will see three things. We will see that God's Holy Spirit, first of all, guides all believers equally. Secondly, obligates all of us. And then thirdly, gives us the fullness of life. Let me state that once again. I will preach to you about the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We will see in the first place that he guides all believers equally. Secondly, that he obligates all of us. And thirdly, that he gives us the fullness of life. 
First, then, that he guides all believers equally. When Paul writes this letter to the Romans, he includes all of the members belonging to that church at Rome at that location. He does not have in mind a specific member of the church at Rome. He does not have in mind someone who stands out above the rest because of special revelation that he or she received from God and that others do not receive. Paul himself could claim that he was unique in that regard, for God did speak to him on the road to Damascus, and he also inspired his letters so that Paul's words in those letters are actually God's words. The Holy Spirit used Paul and convinced the churches who received his letters that they were directly inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'm not too sure of how aware Paul himself was of the special revelation that he was receiving at the time that he was writing his letters. Paul knows himself to be just as great a sinner, if not a greater sinner than others. Time and again, he also says that in his letters. Paul was a very humble man. It was Paul's passion to put God into the foreground to give him the glory, and to place himself as much as possible into the background. He did not want any special recognition because he was a chosen apostle of God. But when the New Testament was complete, which happened during the first century after Christ, then special revelation also ceased. Special revelation was no longer necessary. Now we have the complete word of God. We do not need any more additions or revelations. There are those who think that God continues to speak to certain specific men. The Roman Catholics, for example, think that God's revelation is still given to the Pope and to the councils. And so... Over the years, their theology changes. The decrees of the councils and of the Pope take precedence over the Bible. But what do you get then? Contradictions. They want us to believe, for example, that Mary was without sin and that she remained a virgin all her life. They also want us to believe that we do not have direct access to God except through Mary and other special people. They also want you to believe that all you have to believe and to belong to the church. It's not necessary to know what the doctrine is. And so the list of their various contradictions to what we find in the Bible can go on and on. According to Roman Catholics, later revelations supplant the Bible. God continues to give revelation to the Roman Catholic Church, of which the Pope is the head. The Pope is now the vicar of Christ. That is, he now stands in the place of Christ and directly receives revelation from God. By this way, in this way, they have... The Holy Spirit say one thing first and then another thing later on, as if the Holy Spirit speaks out of two sides of his mouth. The same thing is true of those who believe that the Holy Spirit 
speaks directly to them as individual believers. And so they speak in tongues. The speaking in tongues, according to them, is a direct revelation from God. And then the one tries to outdo the other to prove that the Holy Spirit speaks more to him or to her than to others. And in this way, they draw attention to themselves. This is especially dangerous when one of them elevates himself above the others and convinces the others that they have to listen to him or to her because he or she has a direct line to God. Churches with such leaders become personality cults. They are sects, that is, followers of men. Brothers and sisters, special revelation has ceased. It ceased when the Bible became complete. God does not come to you and me with special revelation except with the special revelation of his word. What then does the leading of the Holy Spirit refer to? Some believe that this refers to his protective influence. That he leads your step in a certain way so that you will not stumble or fall or come to any harm. In preparation for the sermon, I read in one of the commentaries about a minister in the Netherlands in 1834, which was especially a tumultuous time because that was the time of the secession. And that minister, he was highly revered. And the story goes that this minister was informed that a certain member of his congregation was seriously ill. Although it was already evening and although the minister had to go through heavily wooded territory where known criminals were on the prowl, the minister nevertheless went out on foot in order to be at that widow's side before her death. After reading and praying with her, he returned home. Nothing happened. A couple of years later, two men who, through the faithful efforts of that very minister, had recently become converted, asked him whether or not he remembered a few years ago, on a late Friday afternoon, that he went to that dying widow in the house on the other side of the woods. When the minister answered in the affirmative, they asked further, Who were those two men? in shining armor, walking on either side of you, guarding you. The minister replied, I was alone, my friends. I was all by myself, either going or returning. No one accompanied me. Well, they said, that's strange, for we distinctly saw them. It made us afraid, so we hurried away. We are so glad that we were prevented from getting from not carrying out our sinister plot. The commentator who relates this story said that this was a popular story often told and repeated to indicate that this minister must have been one of God's special saints and that he was led by the Spirit and that he was the object of special divine protection. But, says the commentator further, That is not what Paul has in mind here in Romans 8, verse 14. And I agree with him. The reference here is not to the gift of the Spirit to a select few. 
Every child of God is led by the Holy Spirit. That does not mean that God does not protect us. Oh, yes, he does. And it may well be that that story about this minister is true, that it really happened. However, let's remember that stories take on a life of their own. But if it did happen, it did not happen so that this minister could be elevated above the others as one of God's special children. For do you know what? We are all God's special children. All the believers are led by the Holy Spirit. We do not have a class of special saints as the Roman Catholic Church has it. We are all saints. If you are a child of God, then the Holy Spirit is leading you, all of you. How? Well, that brings us to the second point, namely the obligation that the Holy Spirit lays upon us. It says in verse 12 that we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For, explains Paul further in verse 13, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But then he switches by speaking about the Holy Spirit. He says, if you by the Spirit put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. In other words, Paul says it is not to the flesh that we have an obligation, but to the Holy Spirit. What is that obligation? Well, the obligation is to live according to the will of God and to be guided by the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit guide us and for what purpose? Well, as we saw, the Holy Spirit does not come to us without means. In other words, it uses a medium. Who is that medium? Well, that is the word of God. If you want to be led by the Holy Spirit, then you have to know what it says in the word of God. But then you have to be in tune with it. As Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are, and here it comes, spiritually discerned. Anyone can study and quote the Bible. Many people do. The modern media or the legislators, for example. They will quote certain statements from the Bible, not in order to convince others of the truth of it, but in order to defeat a certain Christian point of view. They deliberately quote the scriptures out of context in order to prove their point. That's also how Satan used scripture. In order to tempt the Lord Jesus in the wilderness, he quoted from the scriptures that God would give him a special protection. But Satan was not appealing to God's spirit, but to the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted the Lord Jesus Christ to forego the suffering that he was about to endure. And so he misquoted or quoted the scripture out of context in order to lead the Lord Jesus astray. But the Lord Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. 
He was not guided by the flesh, but by the Spirit. And it is impossible for him not to be guided by the Holy Spirit, for he and the Holy Spirit are one. And so there is a unity between the Spirit and Christ. And that unity also is spoken about here in Romans 8, for it says in verse 9, You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ. Christ was without sin because he was not guided by the flesh, but by the Holy Spirit. And now you see, brothers and sisters, that is what Paul is talking about here when he is speaking about being led by the Holy Spirit. And now we also come to the heart of this sermon. To be led by the Spirit means to be driven by Him to lead a godly life. In your life, you allow the Holy Spirit to be in the driver's seat. And as such, you are not just a passenger. No, you are an active participant. God wants you along as you make your way in life. And as you look forward to the glorious end. And the Holy Spirit leads you. He guides you. But he does not overpower you. He drives you. But he is not a slave driver. He does not take out the whip. No, he does not take you over by force. No, he gently guides you. He persuades you. He guides you like a shepherd guides his sheep. Gently prodding, carefully leading his sheep along the right paths. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And Christ made himself known as the good shepherd. How do you know that good shepherd, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? Well, you know his voice. You know what he is like. You know that he always wants the best for you. Even when you want to go in one direction and he wants to lead you in another direction. You know he knows what is best for you. You know also how to distinguish his voice from the voice of the devil. The devil always wants to lead you astray and have you follow the ways of the sinful flesh. But the Holy Spirit always wants to guide you along the right path. And so to be led by the Holy Spirit means that you study the meaning, the intent of the Holy Spirit as you find it in the Bible. You allow yourself to be guided by God's word. You had better not say that the Holy Spirit is guiding you when you are planning sinful action. And that is what people do when they want to cover up their sins. And that is what people do when they want to go their own way. In order to forestall any criticism, they will tell you that God is telling them what to do. 
In other words, I have had special revelation from God, and that makes me a little bit more special than you. I know better. I have greater insight than you. Brothers and sisters, that's not only arrogant, that is playing right into the hand of the devil. And the same thing is true when you say that the Holy Spirit is guiding you towards a certain position in life, to a certain job, or to a certain action. How do you know it is not your ambition guiding you? How do you know you are not driven by your own wishes? You may wish, for example, to have a certain position in the church, to be an elder, or a deacon, or a minister. And that is a good thing. You may, indeed, you must desire that. It's a wonderful thing. But the Holy Spirit is much wiser than you. He has his own timetable. And he knows what's best for us. There are certain things that the Holy Spirit does not deem suitable or good for you. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. And he will do that in his own time and in his own way. And so once again, how does he lead you then? Well, as I said, the Holy Spirit uses means. He uses the word of God. But he also uses God's people. God's people who are in tune with God's word in order to guide you. Listen to what Paul, speaking about the church, says in Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 7. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope and you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then after speaking about that, he speaks about the office bearers in the church that they are also used by God as a means to guide God's people. He says they are God's gift to the church. He says in the verses 11 through 13, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, I don't have to tell you, the devil is very clever and cunning. He will try to make you believe that your will and way is God's will and way. And sometimes we get confused. We want something so bad that we become convinced that it is God's will that we have it. And sometimes we get so entrenched in our own way of thinking that we think we are going on the right path, even though we're going on the wrong path. And so that is why God gives you the office bearers in the church. They have been given, as it says in Hebrews 13 verse 17, the authority to keep watch over you, as men who must give account. And therefore it says in that same verse, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. The office bearers are given to the church to keep you on the right path, to warn you when you go wrong, to encourage you to do the right thing. They are there to be a good example to you 
of what it means to lead a godly life. And so they have quite a responsibility. Does that mean that they cannot make mistakes? Of course they can. And sometimes they do. As they lead the flock, they have to constantly ask themselves whether or not they are being led by the Spirit as God has revealed himself in his word. But their collective opinion as to what the will of God is gives a greater weight than the opinion of an individual believer. Collectively, we have much more objectivity. And that is why it says in Proverbs that a fool is someone who does not listen to the counsel of others. But please remember that when we talk about the office bearers, that we are not just talking about a collection of individuals, but about those who have been ordained to give leadership in the church. They have been ordained to rule the church. And let us not forget that the church is called by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The office bearers have promised to allow themselves to be corrected by the truth of the Bible. To allow themselves to be corrected by the evidence of Scripture. And that is why they also sign the form for the subscription of office bearers. They promise to uphold the truth as we find it in God's word and as they are summarized in the confessions. It is important to note that the confessions are mentioned here. For the Holy Spirit has guided the churches throughout the centuries to summarize God's word in such a way that the doctrines as found in the Bible are clearly and succinctly stated so that no one will refute them. Anyone who says that he has a better insight than the church and that he or she knows better what the will of God is than what the church has confessed throughout the ages is arrogant. It is disturbing that there are those who claim to be completely led by the Holy Spirit that they then reject the discipline of the church and withdraw. They arrogantly claim that because they have the spirit, they know better than the church. They know what the real truth is. As brothers and sisters in the Lord, we walk humbly amongst one another. We do not elevate anybody to special sainthood. You don't do that to any member of the church including a specific office bearer or a specific minister or some distant relative who was particularly pious. We are all sinful children who need to be led by the Holy Spirit who guides us in the truth of God's word. We are all God's special children. And we have to remember that we must submit ourselves to God. And God knows a lot more than we do. Only he is wise and he gives us his wisdom and his word. And therefore, when we quote authority, we do not quote from people, but then we quote the scriptures. For only God's word gives us the rule to live by. And God knows what direction our life should take. And therefore, as believer, you have to trust the Lord. 
You have to trust that if you do the right thing, that then God will also bless you, that he will give you the fullness of life. That brings us to the third and final point. Take careful note of the fact that our text says that those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God or children of God. The present tense is used. It doesn't say that they will become children of God. No, they are children of God. The Apostle Paul points that out further in verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Paul writes this to the believers at Rome and therefore to all believers. That applies to you and to me. The Holy Spirit confirms us in our faith. You don't need special revelation from God in order to confirm you in your faith. No, all you need to do is to believe the Bible and to live in accordance with it. All you have to do is to believe the promises found in the Bible. Although the covenant is not mentioned in this passage, Paul nevertheless uses covenantal language. He first speaks about the promise of God, namely that he makes us children of God through the Holy Spirit. And then he speaks about the obligation that we have to the Holy Spirit. And so, once again, he calls us to respond to God's work within us. That's covenantal. First the promise, then the obligation. God has taken residence in you, and therefore you are now called the temple of the Holy Spirit. Every time you sin, and you repent from your sin, and you ask for forgiveness... And then the Holy Spirit also renews you. He burns away those impurities. He gives you a new heart. He gives you a new mind. Time and again that happens. And then you know every time again that everything is well between you and the Lord. He gives you a new direction. And He works in you through your conscience. For your conscience is shaped by the Spirit of God. For God's Word has taken up residence within you ever since you were a little child or ever since you became a Christian. And therefore now also your conscience accuses you when you do something wrong. As long as your conscience is still in tune with the Holy Spirit. And then you can either follow the Holy Spirit... Or you can follow the flesh or the devil. And if you pray about it with true honesty and openness, allowing yourself to be led by God's word, you will also know what the right thing is to do in all circumstances. And then you will know it even though the flesh is telling you to do something else. And then when you want to take a certain position in life, then you look at what God says in his word as to what the right thing is to do over against him. And there may be two right things to do. Then you have to look at practical aspects. God gives you a mind to reason things out. And he tells you what is right and what is wrong. And he tells you that in his word, in his revelation. 
Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, be led by the Holy Spirit. Be led by God's word. And when you do that, then and only then will you receive the fullness of life. Only then will you be able to taste the goodness of life to the fullest. Because the Holy Spirit never steers you wrong. And when you follow the Holy Spirit, you can go through life with a good conscience. Then you are not anxious about all kinds of things. But then you are at peace with yourself. And then you are at peace with others. And above all, you are at peace with God. And therefore, Paul says that it is only through the Holy Spirit that you can cry, Abba, Father. The term Abba is an intimate term. It is like the English word, Daddy. A little child who knows and loves his father feels totally safe and secure around him. To a little child, a father can do no wrong. He is the strongest, he is the best, he is the smartest. He will never harm you, he'll always keep you safe. He will chase the monsters away, he knows everything. Well, it is through the Holy Spirit that you can have that kind of intimate relationship and that kind of trust with your Heavenly Father as well. It is only through the Holy Spirit that you can call him Father, Daddy, with that kind of love and trust. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, you're special. God has made you special. And he takes care of you every day. He protects you and he guides you. And do you know why? Because he loves you. And he guides you through his Holy Spirit. And he will continue to do that throughout your whole life. And so you put your trust in him. And so trust his word. And he will never mislead you. Amen.